So about four of his first five. We'll call it third and two. Abdullah, a first down, trying to get to the end zone. Amir Abdullah scores. I'm a little cranky today, and it has nothing to do with the Saints. <laughs> and uh, we always are very honest about what we do on the show and who we go after. And, and look at last week, we Don and I met on Tuesday, as we are today, and recorded uh, the first and last part of Season 5, Episode 29. Uh, the very next day, I recorded an interview with Dan Wolken uh, to preview the college football season. Uh-huh. I had plans on Thursday to interview an NFL network personality um, and then post a podcast on Thursday. I was told on Wednesday afternoon that it would need to be pushed back on Friday or Thursday. I said, okay. And the next email was that it needed to be pushed to Friday. I said, okay. And then on Friday, I was told it wasn't going to happen. So then at that point, you've held it the whole week for a guest. You you even took someone else's time. And uh, what are you going to do? I mean, I don't really like calling people and saying, hey, I had someone cancel. Will you fill in last minute? Because I just feel like that (laughs) makes them feel You're the second choice. Yeah. So we ended up just not posting one last week. And this podcast is basically going to be a mixture of stuff that we recorded this week and stuff that we recorded next week. Yeah, none of it's going to be dated. Yeah, nothing's dated. There's a chance that some of our opinions might sound a little foolish after one week. So let's explain. So it's Season 5, Episode 29. And instead of it being September 9th, it's a week later than that. Today is September 15th. We'll probably post it 16th or 17th. Um, Dan Wolken is on the podcast today, right. and we did record that interview last week. We may have talked briefly about the non-conference, the two non-conference matchups last week of OU and Tennessee. The question that I laid to him was: This week, Tennessee and OU play, and Michigan State and Baylor play. What are some other weeks uh, where you're looking ahead to some really good non-conference games? Okay, and he maybe talked for thirty seconds about those games. Otherwise, it's mostly a, a macro view at the college football season. Right, there should be very very little dated content there. Uh, then one last thing today will be our predictions for the season. Yeah, that's the part where we maybe have a chance to have said something that didn't look that great on yeah in one week. But would you but change it? No, probably not after one week. Right. Uh, so in a second, we'll do three things. Then it's a fluid situation with our first interview again. <laughs> then we'll do book club. Then we'll hear Dan Wilkin. And then we'll finish with uh, one last thing that was actually recorded uh, last week. So that's the situation. Sorry we didn't have a podcast for you last week, but it wasn't our fault. Let's play a game. All right. Mm-hmm. Count of three. One. All righty. I'll take it off. 
to. The oil patterns on a PBA lane are very, very difficult. I might be able to beat Jamarcus Russell at quarterback. <laughs> this is the funnest night ever! <laughs> Did we just become best friends? Yep! Now let's move on to other business. Alright, so obviously we're going to start with the NFL, and most of the time on this podcast, we like to look ahead to what's coming as opposed to looking back. Uh, because by the time we post these podcasts, usually the games that have happened have been dissected and broke down. But since it's week one, I do want to ask you, Don, is there anything that you feel like you'd want to overreact to or not underreact, overreact to? If you know what I mean, is there anything that stuck out uh, uh, from the week one to you? I like the Bills' chances this year, which might be an overreaction uh, to one game. I, I think they're in... We discussed a little bit off the air. I think they're in that tier. The AFC looks a little bit like it's going to be the Patriots and everyone else, and I think they're in that tier of everyone else. The Colts were a team that many people have in the Super Bowl this year, and the Bills beat them legitimately. This was not some weird... No, they outplayed them all day. Sacked them, right. Yeah, it was nothing fluky about the game. Uh, they, They won almost every aspect of the game. So I like their chances going forward if they can continue to play like that, so... I often wonder how good the Colts are because... Yeah, I thought that a little bit too. Maybe that's me hating on my own team a little bit or not believing my own team. But I thought, I mean, this looks like a little bit like the Colts that Peyton had where they're going to have to outscore people to win games. Since the start of 2013, they're 10-11 versus teams outside of their division. But I don't want to take anything away from the Bills win. It was very, very good. And it was... I think if they want to take a next step, it's a game they had to have. Sure. In the sense that it's opening day, yeah. you're home. That was the perfect home opener, I think. If It's a good measuring stick game. It's a conference game. It's a team you want. You're going to have to get through if you're going to get anywhere. And it's not the Patriots. You don't have to necessarily jump right into that right. fire. And, and with the Patriots coming here this week, yeah, the next two weeks are huge weeks for the Bills season because they're both AFC East games. Yep. And then the first time you take Tyrod on the road, you got to take him to Miami for an AFC East game. Yep. The thing about him that has been surprising is he never finished a season um, at Virginia, Virginia Tech Park. with a completion percentage over sixty percent. You know, it was under sixty percent every time. Really? And he's completed his passes at a pretty high rate. They've also been very, very safe about him when he threw the ball. He did have a beautiful touchdown pass, right, over the top pass where it felt like they finally took a shot and let him throw the ball down the field. But they're going to have to find a way to use Watkins more. Three targets is not going to be enough. Yeah, I agree. And um, look, it's so far so good. There's no reason to, to to worry about it. What we've seen so far is good. So until we see anything else. No, no need to worry. Yeah, and even if they lose next week, and maybe this is a loser mentality, but if if they make a game out of it, if they prove they can hang with the Patriots, I think that can go a long way. So, yeah, it will. And uh, the can problem you, is, is if they lose the next week, then then they're in trouble. And even if it was a good game again, it's like, well, then they're probably the third best team in the division. Miami might be a team that surprised me though, as far as how they played this week too. I mean, we don't need to go to every single game, but that's a game I would have expected Miami to trounce these guys. Tannehill's in that conversation that like a guy that's ready to take a step up with those elite guys. 
And the Washington Redskins are a lot of people's pick for just the worst team in the league, and they really gave them a game. They also have, I mean, 90,000 great fans there. I don't know. I in just, Washington? Yeah. Yeah. You know, the thing about week one, and I think the reason that you don't want to overreact to anything too much, is that everyone is 0-0 zero and zero that week. Sure. And nobody's really down on their team yet, right? So right. So all those road games, I think the teams that went on the road, like Carolina, even though they beat Jacksonville... Um, who else had a a, a road win this? Yeah, week? that's true. I guess you don't think of that from professional athletes. Like they should just go out and play this to their abilities, no matter what. But Washington playing that game in Week Ten, if they're two and eight, maybe doesn't give Miami quite the game. But yeah, yeah they're out there playing their best game. I feel right. Like, yeah, that's a good point. Um, on um, uh, opening day, a team that didn't play their best game at home was the Texans. They were better in the second half. Uh, but they already made a quarterback change there, which is just like, really? Yeah. You know, like, I don't know what they're going to do this week. I don't know if they said Hoyer or Mallet yet, but that's going to be a circus. They're not very good, I don't think. Um, is Peyton Manning done? We're talking about overreacting. Right. Uh, no. Uh, no? You know what? There was no offensive points or offensive touchdowns in that game either way. For a game that... That was just a. It was just it was a, a old school. Yeah. Uh, good, good defenses. Defensive battle. Yeah. Not, uh, but he is certainly declined. Yeah. yeah. Something like no touchdowns in the last like three, three of the, the last, last five, five games, something like that. Yeah. After fifty-one in a row. That's insane. Yeah. Um. I think the most disappointed I was in teams was probably I was disappointed in the Raiders. I was disappointed in the Jaguars. Well, the Vikings have to be one of them. And that segment Very later, disappointed in the Vikings. I think we both talked the Vikings up. and uh, Ten carries to Adrian. That's that not how you're going to win. That was, who do we not was, how you're going to win. Who do we beat up for that all the time uh, a few years back? Maybe every coach he's had except for one. And the, but, uh, the first drive, they blocked the field goal, right? He got no carries. Three incompletions. Yeah, and I it's like that first drive. You got to give him the ball. Adrian is the best at wearing guys down and then exploiting them in the fourth quarter. He's never going to be able to do that. He's going to halftime with six carries. They only ran seventeen times total, and three of them were Bridgewater runs. I don't know if those were designed runs, probably or, not, or what. So I, I mean, think maybe one, what is the game plan in a game that's tight all game? Yeah, they're a disappointment. The Eagles. Look at they got off to a slow start. Yep. I mean, they look like the team I thought they'd be in the second half. Falcons right. look decent in the game. There was the whole thing with the uh, with the Giants and the uh, throwing the ball out of the back of the end zone instead of just sliding when the pass wasn't there. And then apparently you're even going to call the pass, telling Jennings not to score. not to score, which is obviously confusion. I think in Eli's mind, yeah, because you go up two scores, you two go scores. ten there. Yeah, yeah, so you're not worried about not scoring, right? But um, you're only worried about not scoring, I think, when. If you go up, if you if the score is gonna, you're going up put like you five up. or something, or, right? I don't know. And I even can't then, even think of what the right amount is, but people know what I mean. I guess that we, wasn't the right time, right? That wasn't a hey, don't score time. I maybe don't maybe not. You don't score if you're tied, and you can run a lot of clock out, and a field goal would win it. Like because then a touchdown or field goal doesn't matter. But in a game where you can go up two scores, that that, that that's game over, right? What about injuries the first week? Obviously, Des Bryant's the biggest one. And yeah. Charles Suggs. Charles Suggs is done for the year. Yeah, that's a bad one. Uh, and Bryant is going to have some serious foot issues. He's going to be out at least 
at least six at least, games. at least six weeks, but if it could be as more. much as more, uh, like eight, ten, twelve. I mean, the reports are all over the place. So, did you see the video of him? After yeah, after the, the game. game, he was pumped. <laughs> he's, Good for him. He's a he's a very fiery guy. Yeah, there's no doubt about that. What do you? Uh, obviously, the game of the week this week is Bills and Patriots in week two, uh, at least in the AFC. I mean, what exactly are the Bills, and are they ready to compete with a team like the Patriots, who looked like the best team in the league first week, maybe? Yeah. Uh, so we're all going to be looking there. Uh, I think Vikings Lions is really interesting. Uh, Vikings are at home. The Thursday uh, the night Lions game gagged really the game away. Yeah, really good Thursday night game. Denver, Another Kansas chance. City. I mean, if Denver can find themselves in a hole right away, yeah, Kansas Payton, City look good. Peyton's on the road. Now, don't forget, Denver did win that game. That's true. That's right. My bad. They, yeah. 19-16 uh, or 13 or something right. like that. Disappointing. At, it's funny. You know, the expectations are high when it's nothing but negative comments. and you beat, After a win. Uh, and it's a win against Baltimore, who many people have picked the Super, Super Bowl, Bowl right, team yeah. this year. Um, but, yeah, I um, guess that's a good reason not to just count them as done. A team that could end up in a hole is the Giants. Uh, I don't know how high expectations were for them, but certainly higher than they were last year with Beckham coming back and playing a full season. They, they're they at home against the Falcons. They could be a quick 0-2 if they didn't win that. Um, but it's not a great week of games. The Eagles and Cowboys is the Sunday night game. That's another team that could fall in a hole. Well, that's a 4 o'clock. 4 o'clock game. Sunday, Sunday Seattle Green feature. Bay. So that's maybe the game of the week in the NFC. Yeah. And Seattle Green Bay is really good too. Yep. So And they could... Seattle... Uh, the Eagles, both of them could be 0-2. 0-2, yeah. yeah. So. Anything yeah, I guess, else you want to talk about? I guess that's why you, you don't overreact to one week. Yeah, we got to wait and see on some things. Um, Pierre Paul, you know, he didn't end up sticking around with the Giants. They sent him home, and now there's news today that his thumb is injured as well. Mm-hmm. It's not just his fingers, but his thumb. Yikes. Um, there's a video going around of 49ers fans beating up a Vikings fan. Uh, anyone who goes to 49ers or Raiders Stadium is out of their minds. I, don't, I mean, all right. One one thing we you prob- got a beautiful place, and I, I just don't get that. One stuff. one thing we failed to talk about that's probably important is uh, is Marcus Mariota that good, and is uh, Winston that bad? Winston that bad? I mean, obviously, we're, uh, obviously we're, again we're talking in hyperbole because right. we talked about overreacting. And to obviously. Mariota might not look bad this week either. Guys. Mariota's in a better situation, so. I think. Yeah. Less pressure. It's nice to get that first game. He's on the road. Probably not many expectations. Uh, but it just feels like Tampa's a toxic place to be right now. I Listen, I did a backflip when I heard they were going to pick Winston and not Mariota. To me, Mariota was the guy you'd want. I, I couldn't believe they wanted Winston. Um, and I'm glad they do. I, I'm, not, I'm not a big Winston guy, so... Uh, if I were the the Titans, I'd be thrilled, and if I was the if I was them, I'd be concerned. He's also very young, still Winston. Right? Yeah. You know. Um, well, your team gets him this week. Yeah, uh, my team. Um, eh, I don't need to go too far into it. I was more took more positives out than negatives, but it was a game, and I'm being honest here that I. I uh, thought that they would lose going into the season. Arizona looked good. So. I mean, they did lose. A, they cannot look good without losing a player, it seems like, the last few years. They yeah, lost Ellington. With the PCL so. thing. That looked worse than a PCL. Looked like his whole knee just crumbled on him. Uh, so I'm sure they were glad to find out it was only the the PCL and not the 
not the ACL. I guess I heard today that the the injury is similar to the one that the Perriman for. Oh yeah, yeah. And that is but he still hasn't played. Certainly so. lingered on for him. So right. maybe that's a tough one. The Bills cut Bryce Brown. Uh, yeah. Darius is back. I guess that's uh, the spot to make room for Darius. Yeah, and I mean, I guess if you want to even like pump the Bills' tires a little bit even more. Uh, they did what they did to the Colts without arguably their best defensive player. I mean, at worst, he's their second-best defensive player. Although, Stephon Gilmore, uh, I know advanced stat guys already know this. That guy's a stud. Yeah, he's really good. He is. He was all over whoever he was covering. He's going to have a big year. And uh, he's just got to catch the ball. He had a pick in his hands and dropped it. All right, uh, moving on to college football. The two big games last week, Oklahoma and Tennessee. I had a lot of fun watching the Oklahoma game. Uh, they fell down. They seemed dead, and uh, they just kept kept fighting. Baker Mayfield, the quarterback, kept going. Sterling Shepard is a stud, uh, and they pulled it out in Tennessee. Uh, and there's this insane rivalry between OU and the SEC and people who cover the SEC. Oh, really? Uh, and it cracks me up. But uh, Stoops is three and zero versus the SEC since he started to pick this fight. Uh, it'll be interesting to see how. How that plays out. Did Notre Dame lose points or gain points in the – or not points, but whatever. Well, yeah, I guess there are points in the rankings. Did they go up or down in the rankings based on they, their win? They probably stayed about the same, but yeah. the bottom line is – They lost their quarter. They lost their, their studs, so yeah. it's going to be real difficult for them. Especially, like, they're a team that sort of had to win out because right, of – they don't have a conference. Right. Um, and it's going to be really hard to do that with the backup quarterback, who, though, did throw a beautiful pass – uh, late in that game uh, to secure the win. Um, this week, there's some big, you know, some big conference games now uh, to get going. Obviously, the biggest one is in the SEC. Um, where we, who do we got uh, this week? Ole Miss and Alabama. So let's oh, okay. go to find out some things about Jim Cowley's nephew. Hasn't haven't they scored like seventy points? Seventy a game, you know, <laughs> cupcakes, obviously. Yeah. Uh, but now they're going to go to Alabama and play the number two team in the country. So let's see what they're all about and what he's all about. Yeah, that'll be good. Yeah, it's on ESPN at nine nine fifteen Eastern on Saturday. So if you're looking for something to do late, uh, that's the game. BYU is one on two Hail Marys. They're two and zero. Oh. Two Hail Marys. They play UCLA nineteen num- versus number ten and number ten UCLA. You know they have the number one pick in the draft in two years in Jake Rosen. At quarterback. So if you get a chance to see him, definitely check him out. Uh, he has lived up to all the hype. Notre Dame plays Georgia Tech at 330. Another game of ranked teams. We're going to talk more about college football uh, with Dan Wolken in a bit. All right, last thing. I did want to mention the tennis real quick. Uh, and this is what I wanted to say about it. Serena Williams didn't get the Grand Slam. No shame in that. She got upset in the semis. Uh, look at the way she sort of plays. It's like she doesn't play her best tennis sometimes until she loses a set. Okay. You know, but in three-set tennis, yeah, yeah. That, that, that that means you got to play some really tough points. And it just seemed like towards the end of that match, the pressure of it or the exhaustion of the run that she's had. I mean, she's played more tennis than everyone. Obviously, you know, you're going to the, the finals of every tournament, every major. Uh, and it looked like, just looked like she wore out a little bit. I was disappointed. With the way she handled it after, it just—it's just a pout session to me. Yeah, is this you know like turning down questions, uh, saying one more question, then you take the question, 
She looks and says, does anyone have a different question? <laughs> it's like the condescending and the arrogance and don't talk to me about how I feel. You know, just like, ah, it's just a turn off. Is this the same problem people maybe had? Like, there's people that love Tiger Woods and there's people that hate Tiger Woods. Is that maybe the same issue they have with him? Is he lets... I mean... I think I prefer that to someone that goes up there and is a robot, and I think that's maybe in a weird way what Marshawn Lynch was like. He doesn't like to do interviews. Why should he do interviews? Why should he give boring answers? But she was doing neither of the things. She wasn't being candid. Yeah. And she was just being rude. Yeah. You, I mean, I find it hard to believe that you prefer rude people over boring. Right. No, I, I'd rather I'd rather someone be interesting than boring, but... I don't know if just being dismissive. Like, I don't know if Marshawn's... To me, she just came off as rude. Yeah. Pouty. Uh, but here's the bigger point. So Djokovic beats Federer and finished the season with three Grand Slams. Same as Serena. Now, we're going to have Richard Deitch. I'm actually interviewing Richard Deitch on Friday. And most likely it'll run next week. Unless all hell breaks loose and we have nothing but Wolken on Friday, <laughs> then obviously it'll have to go this week. Uh, but Deitch has been huge Serena backer this year. And he has said over and over that she's going to be his vote for SI Sportsman of the Year. That's turning into a hard argument for me when there's a guy in her sport who had just as good of a season, if not better. Hmm. And I don't know that I can vote for her over jo- Jordan Spieth or the horse. Yeah, I mean, what's the horse is a good arg- one. What's the argument for her if there's a tennis player? I, I mean, of course, men's and women's. It's different, right? It's the same sport, but it's different in the sense that they're not competing against each other. Oh, sure, right. But there's a there's a player in her sport that had just as a dominant of a season as her. Right. So why do I want her? Why is she the sportsman of the year? If she wins the Grand Slam, she wins the award, in my opinion. Okay. But she didn't. But I still think the horse would have an argument. The horse would have an argument. He's the first one since 1978 to do what he did. Right. Very impressively. I mean, Spieth... And why doesn't Spieth... Spieth finished the year with a major total of eight. Yeah. Two, two majors, a second, and a fourth. Right. Now, yeah. look, if you want to say, eh, I'll give it to Serena or Djokovic over... Spieth. Okay. But then why Serena over Djokovic? Yeah. And then when you get to that, you need to tell me why it's her over the horse or him over the horse. But as of right now, those are the favorites. And we got to see baseball play out. And there might be a football player who could maybe sneak their head in. But Yeah, sure. That's where we're at right now with Sportsman of the Year. And I thought that was interesting. Do you watch any of the U.S. Open this year? No, I didn't. Didn't get too much. It was on ESPN. And uh, I thought they did a great job calling it. I watched uh, both finals. And I thought Tirico was great in the women's final. And I thought that McEnroe and Fowler were great in the men's final. Really I good. didn't even know Tirico did tennis. Well, neither did I. Um, but, he, you know, this is their first year doing the, oh, okay. doing the U.S. Open. So someone was going to do. But, uh, no, I thought he was great. Um, and... You know, I hear we're getting Trico at some point. <laughs> so when I when we do, I'm sure I'll talk to him about it, and we'll 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 go over all this stuff uh, with Deitch when when we get him here as well. Sounds good. All right, so we're gonna take a break, and we're gonna come back with someone. 
And we do the book club, then we'll do Dan Wolken. And then you're going to hear The Last of Us when I record, when you hear the one last thing. We'll probably wait. I won't record the book club until I know what we do so I can give any other updates in the middle. <laughs> okay, sounds good. All right. Oh boy, the silliness. Alright, our next guest is from Michigan. Made his first appearance on the show way back season one. Episode twenty one, long time ago. And back then he was the main man at the Lions in Winter blog. Today He's all over the place covering the National Football League, places like SiriusXM and Bleacher Report, Vice Sports. Uh, and obviously, he's kind enough to be making a second appearance on the show today. A warm sportscaster's welcome to Ty, as we called him then. How's it going, Ty? Not too bad. Thanks for having me back on, man. Yeah, I don't know why it's been so long. Honestly, I have no idea. So now, are you a f- two-name guy now? Or is it still just... Because I remember asking you, you know, back then, and you're like, yeah, it's just Ty. So, is it, are you a- <laughs> <laughs> Well, you know, it's funny because back then, I mean, what, you know, when I started, I think I think by the time I went on, my my boss had a little bit better idea of it. But I was still trying to keep it, you know, keep the two lives separate. I had the full-time IT job. Right. Uh, you know, wife and kids. And so, I was just trying to keep a low profile. Um, and then it kind of got to the point where I had to, I had to be up front uh, with the boss. Unfortunately, she was a huge Lions fan, so uh, <laughs> you know she ended up thinking it was cool. And then I kind of okay, Ty Shelter, that's the thing. And uh, yeah, so uh, eventually I uh, got the full time offer from Bleacher Report, left the IT gig behind, and now I'm out in the open. That's and that's the that's the Twitter handle too now, Ty Shelter. Oh so yeah, that's it's, right. That's it's right. It's all yeah. just one thing. So now when you are on. Was that before or after the Saints played the playoff game? I think it was before that, right? Yeah, yeah. I think I think that was that would have been that season twenty eleven. Right, uh, right, right. I think, so, I think it was. No, yeah, you're right. So the the game was in then in the winter after we had talked sometime in the fall. Yes, right. Yes, yes, it was. And uh, that 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 was that was interesting. And then, because I think then we, because that wasn't the, like, uh, Saints in week 16 and then the rematch in the, the, the first round of the playoffs. They play twice. Yeah, that sounds back, right. Back real fast like that. And uh, I'm going to say this as politely as I can. I, I, well, first of all, I always look back on that Saints team as the best one, even better than the Super Bowl team in the, well, probably in the franchise history. And if they would have just gotten, uh, found a way to get that last stop in San Francisco. I really think they would have won the Super right. Bowl that year. Um, so that that you know, it's funny uh, that 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 game doesn't bother me that much. Losing that game just because it was such an epic game, but um, kind of like that they didn't finish it bothers me. Like that they let the Giants beat them at home in the NFC Championship game <laughs> bugs me. <laughs> but uh, I do, right. I, right, right. I do remember. Uh, I do remember the Lions fans just like I was like, "Oh man, these poor poor kids are new to the playoffs and they they think you cry about the refs here." I just remember that. Like 
I, I don't know. There there was some bad calls. They got a couple tough calls. They're in the Superdome on a like a night game. It's not exactly a spot where you think you're going to come in and got to get a bunch of calls. But the score was like fifty something to twenty something, and my feed was like all all Lions fans talking about how bad the refs were. It's like, well, all right, I guess. I don't know if they were thirty points bad or whatever it was, but. Yeah, well, if you go back, um, because I think, I'm sorry, I can't remember which one had, whether it was the regular season game or the playoff game. I, th- I think it was the regular season game. Um, they had a bunch of super weird calls. There was a, a strip sack that the Lions took back to the house and the refs whistled dead accidentally in the middle of the return. And then they were like, oh oops, like, we, we whistled it dead, our bad, so no return, but you get the ball back, and then they didn't end up scoring a touchdown on that drive, and, and just, there are a bunch of little weird things, there's actually, there's a website, uh, thefixesin.net, he's oh, not boy. a Lions blogger, this oh, is like a God. tinfoil hat NFL conspiracy guy, he made like an eight minute video, quote unquote, proving how the league rigged that game. For well, the I wish they would have the rigged the next week. Year. I wish they would have rigged the next week. I can't believe they go out of their way to rig the game and then let us lose to the 49ers. I mean, ugh. Right? Right? Ugh. Come on. <laughs> Breeze was 33 of 43 that night, 66. I, I don't think they were they were going to lose that game. Well, but, and then that was I think the playoff game, the playoff game, um, the cornerback, oh, gosh, his name is telling me. Um, he, he stone cold dropped two picks. And people like people were sending him death threats for days after, like hit him in the hand, dropped, and people were were crushing him. Lions fans were crushing this poor guy. Um, and I cannot remember his name. And he went to the Jets, and uh, he got he got uh, kicked off the Jets for uh, waving a, a gun at a bunch of party bros that oh, were no. uh, interfering with his party limo. Like like dudes were like <laughs> bar crawling, and and then he like hey like. Get out of my, you know, get out, get away from my car, and like wave the gun at them, and you know they freaked out. I can't remember this guy's name. Was it uh, Kason? Uh, I can't remember. I'll have to look it up. It's killing me. Uh, but yeah, no, that that, that was that was tough. You got to understand. You got to understand. Lions, one playoff win in my lifetime. Well, yeah, that's kind of what I remembered. It's just like ah, first time in the playoffs in so long, and so I understood. Yeah, yeah, I understood. Yeah. And then that that was fifty years before that, so it was it was that playoff win in nineteen ninety one was the only one in my lifetime, and I think the last playoff win before that was fifty seven. So so it's it's one one playoff win since fifty seven, and it's twenty fifteen, and that clock's still rolling. The regular season game was thirty one seventeen. I don't really remember this game. I don't yeah, know I, why. Think I don't was, really remember I think it was much the about this season game. game that was the super weird one. You know, and what it might have been is the regular season game was super weird. So then they were ultra Lions fans are ultra sensitive about the playoff. Game, yes, would be my guess. Yeah, they they, they lost that playoff game fair and square. That, right. that was that was never happening. Yeah, I don't remember this regular season game. Maybe because uh, they fixed it for us, so I put it out of my mind. Wow, Breeze was twenty six. I'll, I'll, of... I'll have to link you. I wrote probably the maddest, most tinfoil hat post I've ever written after that game, and 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 you know it was totally a you know get home from watching the game and just like you know pour it all out. Oh, on I've, the been page. Like, yeah, I've been this there. Yeah, I've been there. 
BS, blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. I'll, I'll have to link it because it's a riot. Like, you know, and I look back on it and go, oh, man, like, I felt like total homer now, you know, in, in retrospect. But it, it was what it was. That was the fight. That was the whole thing was, you know, right? if there's I love one the lion's homer on this earth, it's me. Yeah, I love the sight. Man, Breeze was not kind to the Lions that year. He was 36 of 26 for a 342 and three TDs in the uh, in the regular season game. And he was even, yeah. what did I say in the playoff? Even better than that. That was a good. That yeah. was a good Saints team, man. I think they're even better than the than the Super Bowl team. They lost on opening day, opening night, uh, to Green Bay, who went fifteen and one, I think. And they lost to them the first game, that Thursday night game. They were Green Bay was the champs, and they lost by eight. Saints had the ball at the one with an untimed down, and got stopped. Wow. <laughs> And then they wow. lost. And then they lost um, two games in October, and then that was it until the playoff game. Wow! Until the second playoff. Wow, game. that's nuts. Yeah, they won one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine in a row, and then they lost thirty-six to thirty-two. With I think there was four scores in the um, last three minutes of that game, and they were the Saints were down seventeen nothing too. Ah. Oh, well, nobody cares about this. People have tuned out minutes ago from this conversation. Sure. Hey, I wanted you to have a chance to overreact to things from week one. What are some things you saw across the league that you're super comfortable in overreacting to? Yeah, well, uh, Marcus Mariota, Hall of Famer, for sure. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, I was was all over the Marcus Mariota thing. Um, I thought he was... Uh, totally the real deal. There were a lot of people who didn't believe that he could transition quickly to an NFL system. Um, my concerns mostly were named Ken Wisenhunt and, and uh, you know, the, the total lack of, of weapons in Tennessee. You know, my, my concerns are not about Marcus Mariota, uh, his football IQ, his character, uh, the, the tools, the skill set, it's all there. Everything you want in an NFL quarterback. And I, you know, I just thought it would be a matter of time and, and, and weapons and, didn't even turn out to be, you know. I I live blogged two of his preseason games on the front page on the front page of Bleacher Report, you know. So I was watching very very closely, and you know the composure, uh, the the maturity, and yet he made some rookie mistakes and he underestimated it. You know, you could see you could see the the speed of the NFL overwhelming his confidence at times, like uh, especially against the Chiefs. You know, he rolls out a little bit, hits the Jets just a little bit, buys himself some time. He's one-on-one out there with Justin Houston. He's like, all right, cool, no problem. I just need a little bit more. Wow, Justin Houston is fast. Right. I'm going to get taken down. But, you know, you could see the eyes pop a little bit when when you see the speed of the NFL defenders. But he he would make a mistake and then not make it again. You know, he would make a mistake, learn from it, go, okay, I can't make that throw there, you know, or I have to put more on this. I'm going to get this guy open. Uh, So you, you really started to see that maturity. And then in that first game, I thought Tampa Bay had too many weapons for, for Tennessee to cover. Uh, you know, cause Tennessee didn't show that they could cover anybody in the preseason. And, and you look just on paper, the depth chart, they don't have anybody in the secondary. So I thought Winston was going to be able to get a couple big throws early. And, you know, it may, it may have been a shootout, but I, I liked Winston and the Buccaneers weren't. could have comes out four touchdowns in the first half. I mean, you couldn't have asked for a better debut. Right. Yeah. And maybe the, the Titans did get a break with, uh, Evans being out. But I know, personally, as someone who, you know, whenever you arrival as the first overall pick in the draft, you're like, oh, man, they're going to get a really good player. But I was thrilled that they took Winston. I, 
just to me, and I'm not a scout, but I thought for sure they were leaving the best player on the board. But uh, yeah, so I'll overreact to that with you as well. I'll go the other way and say Winston is a dud, bust, bust. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and and you know, for me, Winston. You know, and I'll say, you know, my sort of skin in the game there is as, as an observer of the sport and as a lover of football and a lover of the NFL uh, and a person who, you know, way back in another lifetime, my major was political theory and constitutional democracy. So, uh, you know, I, I care about I care about the off the field stuff. I care about the social justice stuff. And and it was disappointing to me that the Bucks basically at the outset of the process were like, Jameis Swinston, not only is he going to be the number one overall pick, but we, we can't, we're rushing headlong into this. We cannot wait to make this guy the face of our franchise right. on the field and off. We're going to rename them the Jameis Winston Buccaneers. Like this, we are totally a thousand percent on board for Jameis Winston. What an amazing person. How can you not love this kid? And, and just, you know, the stuff that he did in Florida State, the stuff that he was rumored to have done, <laughs> the reports, the allegations, all that other stuff, you add that up, like, how do you not have at least some misgivings? And then, and, and, you know, publicly and privately from all the reports, from what, what Buccaneers officials said and, and what was reported, it's zero compunction, zero, zero issues at all. They never had any qualms about going all in on Jameis Winston. And I thought, and, and, my co-host on BRE as NFL Inside Reed, Jason Cole, was was totally on board. He's like, the problem with taking Jameis number one is the message it sends to him, which is you're good, yeah, nothing you're good, you did yep. matters. Yep. You're all good. Mm-hmm. Like you did everything, all the stuff that you did, all the trouble you got in. Don't worry about it. It didn't mean anything. All those things that people said about you, they're wrong. You're right because you're number one overall, and nobody NFL doesn't care about that stuff. And you've got a green light. And yeah. so what does that mean to him personally? You know, and, and how does he take that? How do you grow when you don't face any consequences from that? So going number one overall might have been the worst thing for Jameis. Um, I, I don't know. On the field, you know, the weapons that he has, you mentioned Evans already when he comes back, Vincent Jackson, Austin yeah. Sperian Jenkins. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I'm not sure how long Lovey Smith is going to be his head coach. Um, but I, I do think that he's got everything it takes to succeed, to succeed on the field, whether he can keep it together off the field and whether some of that recklessness uh, doesn't come to bite him back, some of that immaturity doesn't come to bite him on the field too. I think, I think, we'll, I think that remains to be seen. All right, overreact to some other stuff. I'm excited. What else? You're doing good so far. Oh, man. Uh, over, overreacting. It's fun. <laughs> uh, for me, I'm... I'm I'm like, I don't want to anti-overreact, but like I'm, I'm pumping the brakes a little bit on the, on the build on week one, the the hype train. Um, Oh, you should be here. I I was really surprised. I was really surprised with, with with the bills, the way they came out and played and, and Tyrod Taylor. I love the fact that they went with Tyrod Taylor because Tyrod Taylor gives you that 51-yard touchdown pass to Percy Harvin that Matt Castle doesn't have. He gives you the plays he made on the ground. He gives you the opportunity to have a quarterback who can make plays that win games. But 
there's also a big, big downside to him, and I think we're going to see that eventually. We may not see it this Sunday because Rex always does so well against the Patriots, but you know, th- this is going to be a long road. It's going to be a rocky road, and we've seen the Bills come out hot before in week one, week two, and go, oh, the Bills are for real, you know, and then not so much, and I think some of the holes in this roster on the offensive line, they committed. This offensive line, this Richie Incognito, Aaron Cromer offensive line, I counted flagged five times for either chop blocks or holding penalties in order to open up holes for LaShawn McCoy, and he didn't even do that well. You know, like on the hold, yeah, running McCoy didn't like look 4.1 yards to carry. Mm-hmm. So if, if that's what you've got to do to open holes is play that dirty, you know, I don't think that holds up for 16 games. And I think in that, that division, the AFC East, that's such a buzzsaw. I don't think the Bills are for real over the course of the season. Fun to watch, but I don't think they're for real. I think this would be the seventh time since they last made the playoffs that they were 2-0. and So 2-0 and is not if they were to win. Interesting. Yeah, they've had that's a... Interesting. I think, I actually, had, I think this, last this year was a six. This reminded me a lot of uh, uh, the lawyer Malloy game. From like like two thousand right what, against the Patriots, yeah, yeah, Patriots like lawyer Malloy had just been caught Buffalo to New England, yep, and everybody writes off Buffalo. They come out and beat New England like twenty three to zip, and I was like, oh my gosh, the Bills! Yeah, like, well, it was more than that vengeance. too. Like the Belichick dynasty is dead. Here comes the Buffalo that like Dick Duran dynasty. I think at that point, <laughs> you know, and like no, no, at that no, yeah, it was thirty one nothing. Yep. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that yeah. was two thousand and three yeah. opening day. That's what it was. That's yep. what it was. And total, total outlier, total baloney. Didn't mean anything. What about Amir Abdullah? You pumped on him. I, I totally. I'm all in on Amir Abdullah. <laughs> you know, uh, we, we discussed this. It's out of the. It's out of the open. Big Lions pump. Uh, love Amir Abdullah. I'm also a big ten honk. So, so we've got double. We've got double homerism. And kids, inc- incredible talent, incredible tools. Um, you know, there's a lot of incredible talents on that offense. And yeah. there's a lot of ball, a, a lot of balls that didn't get spread around in that week one game. You know, Abdullah ended up with, I think, 11 touches. Um, Eric Ebron led, led the receivers with four catches for 53 yards. I think it was... Um, you know, Jake Bell is theoretically the starter. I forget how many carries he had, but not many. Six Theoretic carries. got a little love. Mm-hmm. You know, Calvin Johnson had like two catches for like 13 yards. Uh, Golden Tate didn't do anything. You have all these guys that could and should be awesome, but if the offense isn't keeping it on the field, if the defense isn't able to, to get the ball back and put it back in the offense's hands, you know, uh, there's not going to be enough drive, not going to be enough possessions, not going to be enough reps for all these people to, to shine like they should be able to shine. It's a nice problem to have, but in terms of Amir Abdullah, you know, getting like 200 touches and putting up 2,000 all-purpose yards and, and you know, 14 touchdowns or at something least, like yeah. that. Oh, yeah, at least. I don't think that's happening. But, but in terms of uh, over the long haul, is he for real? Does he have the talent? Yeah, he's got the talent. You uh, you still believe it in Calvin Johnson as the top receiver in the league? Or are you a little worried? No, I still believe in him. You know, my question is, my worry is there's a lot of talk about how do you get Calvin Johnson? You know, two touches. He's like, hey, well, hey, you know, if I get double covered in this offense, that means somebody's open. So right. I'm not even really in the read progression. But I'm like, wow, I, I think every defensive coordinator in the NFL will take that. Just show that you're doubling Calvin. 
and you take them out of the game completely. I, and I think that I think most defensive coordinators will be willing to take that chance because they're doubling Calvin anyway. So if, if the Lions are taking Calvin Johnson out of the game voluntarily, then you know that's not going to work out so well. But I'm, I'm, I, I think that route is probably smarter than the old Mike Tice Randy ratio, where he's like, hey. You know, 40% of our offensive snaps have to get to Randy Moss somehow. Well, okay, then your offense is completely one-dimensional and everybody knows what's coming and they can stop it. Uh, but at the same time, you've got a weapon like Helen Johnson out on the field. If he's healthy, uh, then, then you have to get it to him. You find ways to get it to him because even when he's covered, he's open. The sportscaster here with uh, Ty Shelter from Bleacher Report and uh, a bunch of other cool places here, XM. You can hear him on the Bleacher Report station. He'll lay all that out in a minute. Um, running out of time, but a couple of things. Uh, I always like to ask people this, because especially people who are, are covering the game on a daily basis. So what what are some things that you're really interested to see play out on the field? Some things in your head, some things you're thinking about, uh, players, teams, theories, whatever, that you really want to see play out on the field. What are maybe some of those things? Or one of those things, well, whatever you got. Of course, we all have our, our massive collective fascination with Chip Kelly and, and how he is going to generate points from uh, an offense that he's shorn of pro bowlers and, and, and all pros and whatnot. Um, one guy that I think I think we're starting to see it, um, as I watched preseason a little bit, um, I went and picked up Darren Sproles in basically every fantasy league I could because hey, looks you know, DeMarco, Murray, mm-hmm. DeMarco Murray's plugging away, getting his three, four yards. Ryan Matthews is kind of getting goal line work. But between the 20s, Darren Sproles is the only one actually making plays, making things happen, and he's got the versatility to catch out in space and make things happen, to take, to take it from under center and take, take a handoff and, and make plays. He's got the electricity. He looks great. He, and, and we saw that again uh, very quickly. And they went to Sproles again and again. And, and I actually think he ends up being of the three backs, the guy that gets the most touches because he's the one doing the most with it. And I think Kelly's going to continue to feed the hot hand there. Um, the, you know, the Sam Bradford we saw in the preseason was not the Sam Bradford we saw against Atlanta. Well, not in the first half. Out. Not in the first half. Sorry, what? So not in the first not half. The first I thought he looked pretty damn good in the second half, though. Yeah. Yeah, but, you know, how much of that can... And then there was the, oh, whole precautionary x-rays after the game. You know, yeah, that like, was like right on cue, right? Yeah, that was interesting. So, so how long can that hold up? You know, what happens there? Very curious to see. Um, and, and I'm actually surprised how few people are, are harping on the Des Bryant injury. Because for me, all off-season, I was screaming, you have to find Des Bryant. You have to find Des Bryant. Because without him, you've got nothing. You got nothing. Like I like Terrence Williams as a number two a lot, but Terrence Williams, Cole Beasley, seventy-two year old Jason Witten, and Gavin Escobar Yikes. is not yeah. a Super Bowl winning offense. Like you can't ask Tony Romo to throw it fifty times a game to Cole Beasley and and you know expect to win football games. That's not happening. And and the more you force him to do that, the more you're going to get battled fourth quarter interception Tony Romo. And so everybody's like, oh, can the Giants, you know, can, you know, can the Cowboys beat the Eagles? Can the Cowboys beat the Eagles? Like, you, got, you guys realize, like, the straw that stirs the drink. Like, the guy that makes that offense go is off the field and going to be off the field for a couple months, right? Because that's what just happened. I think that if there's some way that, you know, Linehan and Romo and those guys can, uh, can make it happen, you know, that's going to be incredible to watch. It'll be a huge thing. Um, really, ultimately, the most fun stories, the most interesting stories are in the AFC East 
uh, all the storylines there. It's going to be so close. I can't pick a finish one through four. I can't pick a winner. Um, but my suspicion is that the Patriots' reign is done. I don't think the Patriots win that division. Uh, I, I think they've had too many losses. They're relying on too many rookies and too many important spots. And I think I think Father Time is coming for Tom Brady. So you're going Dolphins then? Because you weren't high on the Bills either. So I'm sorry, what? So you're going Dolphins then? Because you're kind of down on the Bills. And if you're out on the Patriots. Yeah, I, yeah. Dolphins and I am higher on the JETS Jets, Jets, Jets than most people are. I, I'm not saying that the Jets are going to win your division, um, but I'm high on the Jets, uh, you know, the defense. I think Ryan Fitzpatrick is, is underrated as a quarterback. Like, yes, he throws some picks sometimes, but he also goes downfield and, and scores points. And if we're getting if we're getting good Brandon Marshall, if we're getting the Brandon Marshall we saw in week one for 16 weeks, um, you know, and, and, and Devin Smith, he's another guy. Once he gets back on the field from the rib, lung, whatever nightmare that was, uh, you know, he, he's supposed to be, I think he's supposed to be back in a few weeks from that. That really adds a lot. And Eric Decker, you know, we all, we all poo-pooed Eric Decker as a number one option yeah, last good. year at this yeah. time. But Eric Decker as a number two? Really good. Eric yeah. Decker in the slot? Mm-hmm. Yeah. He's mm-hmm. one of the better number twos, one of the best slot receivers in the league. And, and you add that, Chris Ivory's running really, really well, and, and nobody's talking about it. The offensive line is old, but they're big and they're strong and they're open and holes. And then, like I said, you go back to the defense, best secondary in the NFL by a large margin. And, and they've got the beef up front, they've got the pass rush, they've got the run stuffers. So that's all the things that you want. If they're going to play aggressive and fast and, and, and do what you expect the Jets to do, they're absolutely going to be right there with the Dolphins and the Patriots. And I think all of those teams beat each other up too much um, for everybody to get out of, that, out, out of that division. And I don't think the Patriots are the team that comes out on top. All right, Ty, why don't you uh, lay everything out where the listeners can uh, find and follow and do all those great things in your, your work? Sure. Well, I'm still writing uh, primarily for Bleacher Report, NFL analyst there, and I'm doing uh, big features plus, uh, you know, uh, news cycle type stuff, um, and other big staples uh, at BleacherReport.com. And I'm also covering the NFL for Vice Sports. I'm doing two weekly columns for them, um, one at the beginning of the week, um, and then, then one at the end of the week, and one the, the beginning of the week one I, I like quite a bit. It's, uh, it's called uh, Inopportune Knocks, and it's uh, look at the, the passed up opportunities in the first couple quarters that then come out to, to bite people later here in the fourth quarter, and so it's kind of the inopportune decision making mm-hmm. a lot of co- coaches make. Um, and so uh, you'll see you'll see the second one go up I think tomorrow. Um, going to be called in case you missed it which will be like some of the really cool stories that people didn't pay attention to or got lost in the wash on sunday uh and the news cycle just ate it up and, and we didn't pay attention um and then i'll be doing features there too um and then uh personal writing tyshelter.com the redirect to my personal blog or about you know, politics or goofy stuff or movies or whatever um and then of course it's all running through my twitter at tyshelter t-y-s-c-h-a-l-t-e-r Thanks, bud. Glad to have you back. My pleasure. Glad to be back, Steve. Thank you, man. Talk to you soon. All right, I want to thank Ty Shelter for being on the podcast today from Bleacher Report. Appreciate catching up with Ty. Actually, I had a lot of fun. 
uh, chatting with him. Just a real quick update. It's Thursday around 5 o'clock. I'm about to post uh, the podcast in a second. Uh, the interview you're going to hear next with Dan Wolken was recorded last week around this time. So there is a couple minutes where we talk about, maybe two minutes, where we talk about the Oklahoma-Tennessee game and some stuff from last week. But the majority of the interview is obviously a more macro view of the uh, college football season. So I hope you enjoy that. Real quick, book club, Hell to the Redskins, Gibbs, the Diesel and the Hogs and the Glory Days of D.C.'s Football Dynasty by our friend uh, Daniel Lazarus. Uh, please check that book out. We enjoyed talking. I call him Daniel. I don't know why. His name's Adam. Uh, Adam Lazarus. Uh, we enjoyed talking about the book a few weeks ago with him. You can find that uh, on our website. All right, I'm going to get this up. Uh, Don and I will be back on Tuesday. And uh, here's uh, Dan Wolken and I. Our next guest is from Hot Springs, Arkansas, and is a graduate of Vanderbilt. We first met him when he was writing for the iPad newspaper, The Daily. Uh, but he left there, and today he's covering college football for USA Today. Uh, his work has been honored with awards from the Associated Press Sports Editors and the Colorado Sports Press Association. Warm sportscasters welcome for the eighth time to Dan Wolken. How's it going today, Dan? Hey, I'm pretty good. How are you? Really good. I was saying it's been a while since we've talked to you. It's been since January. Um, but uh, college football season is back, and you were lucky enough to be at that Ohio State-Virginia Tech game. My dog's very excited about it as well. Uh, this is what it seemed to me on TV. It just seemed to me like Ohio State, and this is no revolutionary uh, observation, but it just seemed to me like Ohio State just had sick world-class athletes kind of like all over the field oh yeah no they've got as many different ways to beat you with their skill people as any team that i can remember in in quite a while uh i i don't know if you want to compare them to you know the old miami teams in their heyday or something like that but um yeah that's a team with a lot of guys out on the field who you know, can can run and who can make explosive plays, and they are going to be very hard to beat because not only do they have all that talent, but it's versatile talent, and they can adjust if the game is not going the way they want it to go and try to figure out, just keep trying to figure out different ways to use their people, and uh, they're obviously really well coached, and yeah, it's going to be a tough team to beat all season. Were you surprised at all uh, that Jones was the pick at quarterback? I know it seemed like a lot of people really expected it to be Barrett. Um, in the end, were you surprised? And do you think that it's going to be it, – it, it's almost like uh, Meyer made it seem afterwards that it's sort of a week-to-week thing in a way. I mean, he even said like at halftime. Uh, that he was going to get the other quarterback ready. Do you think it's going to be as volatile as he's making it seem, or do you think he's really going to let Jones kind of settle in there? No, I think going forward that, that Jones will 
be the guy. Not that JT Barrett won't have a role on the team, because I do think he will. But I was a little surprised, because you look at how Cardell Jones, um, his personality, uh, a lot of the social media stuff, my guess is a lot of that kind of drives Urban Meyer crazy, plus the fact that JT Barrett won the job last year and had performed extremely well. And when you talk about the all-encompassing nature of the quarterback position and the things that Urban values, I really did think that JT Barrett would be the pick based on all those factors, not to mention the fact that he's more of a runner and that's always been a part of Urban Meyer's offense, the ability for the quarterback to run the ball. And even though Jones can be effective as a runner, it's a different kind of guy. Uh, he's a bigger guy. He's not as quick. He's a little bit more you know, lumbering and powerful. But he, does, he can move. Uh, it's just a different type of threat. So I, for all those reasons, I definitely thought there was a good chance that, that Barrett would, would be the starter, but clearly um, that was not the case. And I think when you look at it in hindsight, you can sort of see what the thinking was, particularly in the first game. Uh, they mentioned his size and dealing with that front, it, that unconventional front that was for, or that Virginia Tech was using, and, and maybe the, right. with the pressure they were going to bring, that might help. Uh, and so the, a lot of different things, plus he's just got a great arm. And not that Barrett can't throw, but Jones is a, is a more gifted passer. He's, got that, you know, he's just got that sort of howitzer arm, and, and that can, um, that's just hard to deal with. It gives them more of a downfield uh, way to attack teams. You know, I think a lot of people, and I'm one of them, uh, was guilty of forgetting what a great athlete Braxton Miller was. And, I mean, it's easy to say this because it's Urban Meyer and his offense, but he sure did look like Percy Harvin kind of, the way Percy Harvin was used in the Florida offense out there. And I was surprised how quickly he seems to have made the transition away from quarterback into just being a, a weapon on the field. And, and I, I just think that he... He's going to be a huge, huge factor in this season. I mean, he forget the spin move, which was obviously incredible. I mean, he just the way he was running on the field. I mean, he was pulling away from, striding away from guys, and I mean, really looked like he ran some decent routes too. No, he's a really gifted athlete and, and player, and uh, there's no question that what he'll be able to give them with the ability to move around on the field and be the slot receiver or go line up at quarterback or go out wide. Uh, again, it's the variety of, of ways that they have to attack you. And I would imagine at some point he'll throw some passes in, in right. this offense. Uh, that'll be another thing that people have to deal with and prepare for. And, no, he's he's incredible. The, the 2012 team is, is – they will tell you, which was Urban Meyer's first year, and they finished undefeated. They weren't eligible for the uh, postseason because of the sanctions involving uh, the Jim Trestle stuff, but they were undefeated that year, and, and they weren't a great team. And yet they beat everybody they played, and, and I don't think they would have been a real threat to win 
the national championship if they were eligible, but um, they did win every game they played, and the reason was because Braxton Miller was unstoppable uh, in the Big Ten, and and they'll tell you, those guys will tell you that you know they weren't a great offense, but they did what they had to do, and the reason they were so effective is because Braxton Miller put those guys on his back, and uh, I think, you know, I think him coming back in 2013 and, and you know, nearly going undefeated again, uh, he would have been one of the Heisman favorites going into last season if he hadn't gotten hurt. And it is easy to forget when, when he doesn't play and other guys step in and play so well that he really is an electric athlete in his own right. One last thing about Ohio State, I want to move on to other things. Uh, they showed a graphic during the broadcast um, basically saying that in the rest of the season, they have one game where they have a win probability of less than 80%, and it's the Michigan State game. And I know that stuff can change because teams will prove to be better than we thought and teams will prove to be worse, but um, it sure seems like they have a pretty clear path. Is there a team uh, that you think kind of sticks out as one that could give them uh, trouble besides Michigan State, maybe that we're not thinking of, but maybe one that matches up difficult? For them, or is it really like them playing against themselves this year that the biggest opponent for Ohio State might be Ohio State, if that makes any sense? Yeah, well, look, I mean, they're going to be heavily favored in every game. Um, I don't need, uh, you know, win probabilities or whatever, you know, mumbo-jumbo number that ESPN comes up with um, to, to tell me that. They're much better than, than the competition uh, that they're going to be playing. But that doesn't mean that they're always going to win. And we've seen teams that are national championship-winning teams lose games that they're not supposed to lose for reasons that we don't understand. And it only takes one bad day to, you know, to end up on the wrong side of one of these games. And you know, I, I remember I go back to uh, the Tim Tebow year where. They lost at home to Ole Miss, right. and all of a sudden, you know, have to come back and, and went out get in the championship picture by by going undefeated the rest of the way. And they were able to do it. Uh, it's just it's a sport of you know amateur athletes who can have bad days, and so for me to sit here and tell you that they're going to get challenged in any game. Or which game, which opponent caused them the most problem? I don't know. I mean, I know that they're going to get challenged at some point. Uh, there's a game that they're going to supposed to win by three touchdowns, and it's going to be close in the fourth quarter, and none of us are going to expect it. And then all of a sudden, people are going to start asking what's wrong, and it may be that nothing's wrong. It may just be that that's that's the nature of sports and, and the way things happen on that particular day. But uh, you know, I'm, I'm going to be very interested to see how it plays out because. There's no question the pressure is, is on them big time to, to win, not just win every game, but win big. You know, one of the great things about the uh, the first week of the college football season is it's usually the week before the NFL season, so they can kind of spread themselves out a bit, and we're all kind of focused on college football. And uh, I know I watched, I think, some college football on Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and Monday. Uh, what were some things that that stuck out to you? Was there anything that surprised you? Uh, anything that reaffirmed maybe something that you had a feeling going into the season. Um, and enjoying the first weekend of college football, what are some things that kind of stuck out for Dan Wolk and someone covering the sport for USA Today? 
you know, I honestly thought things went about as I expected them to go. Uh, there wasn't really uh, a team that that won a game that I didn't think they could win, or a team that lost that I didn't think they could lose. Uh, I thought it, it, I thought form held pretty well, uh, but people are going to be overreacting to what they see in week one. That's just the way it goes. I try to step back and, and give a little bit more time to digest performances because a lot of times what you see is that someone's performance is an outlier in week one. It's not repeatable. Uh, and certainly not repeatable on a weekly basis. And like, for instance, Texas A&M, everyone watched the game against Arizona State and now uh, thinks that Texas A&M's defense is uh, going to be dominant and that that's going to mean Texas A&M is a real contender. And Texas A&M may end up being a real contender, but I watched that game. I was covering the game. and To me, as good of a performance as it was, I, I didn't get the sense that it's a repeatable effort by, by Texas A&M. Um, Arizona State didn't play very well. Their their offensive line had communication issues. Uh, to to believe that that's really what Texas A and M is uh, defensively is to believe that they're they're going to be in the backfield every play against teams against every team they play against. That to me that's not repeatable. So I try to to just try to figure out what's the outlier and what is the norm. And so I I didn't see anything that happened in week one that looks like it's going to change my opinion of, of some of these teams and, and conferences. Um, so, you know, honestly, in that, in that way, it was, it was not a, a huge revelation uh, type of weekend for me. There's a ton of injuries, it seemed like, this first weekend. Did anyone lose a guy you think that will really affect uh, their season? Well, yeah, a lot of really uh, key players, whether it's Eddie Vanderdose at UCLA, uh, who's a terrific defensive lineman, or Mike Williams at Clemson, who's right, yeah. one of the best uh, receivers in the ACC. Uh, you know, uh, Torrin Folston, the running back from Notre Dame, uh, James Conner, the running back in Pittsburgh. Yeah. They're all going to be major, major losses. and uh, But that doesn't necessarily mean that those teams are doomed. I just think that, you know, it sort of depends on on how the guys they put in are, are able to, uh, you know, are able to, to play and, and the chemistry of the team. And you know, college football is, is a, a little bit it's, – it's a different sport from the NFL in a number of ways. But I also think that it's such a game of mistakes. And – uh, unlike the NFL, which is a game of execution, college football is a game of mistakes. And so a lot of times when a guy gets injured or you lose somebody uh, for a suspension or, or whatever reason, um, if a guy comes in and is just able to not make mistakes, then it may change your team a little bit, but it doesn't necessarily make you worse. So it's just an interesting dynamic that, that I don't think you get as much in the NFL. And, and we'll see. We'll see what happens. There's the two big games this week. Uh, it's not the best schedule this week, but there's obviously the two uh, marquee games, uh, Tennessee and Oklahoma, and then the other one is uh, Michigan State and um, Oregon. Uh, what are some other 
non-conference games in the next uh, few weeks that you kind of have circled on your schedule or, or really any games uh, that are kind of not miss uh, college football games for this season? Yeah, well, this week you only have really a couple games that people are, are locked in on, uh, one being Tennessee hosting Oklahoma. Uh, a lot of people expect that, that Tennessee is, is on the verge of being back and this will be a very important game for both them and Bob Stoops at yeah. Oklahoma uh, because they have not been great uh, the last couple of years. And, you know, are they falling off uh, as a program, that kind of thing? That's swarming around Oklahoma. So that, that's a big game for, for both teams. Uh, Michigan State hosting Oregon is a huge game for both teams because uh, at least in the preseason they – you know that's a that's a matchup of potential playoff contenders, and it's probably a bigger game for Michigan State than it is for Oregon because um, Michigan State uh, doesn't play as good of a schedule, frankly, and uh, they need that win if, if they're going to be in contention down down at the end. Uh, you know, and then the next week you, you start to get into a little bit more conference play, and uh, you know you get games like. Um, you know, Ole Miss and Alabama, Auburn and LSU, the games that are going to really start to shape that SEC West race. Uh, you know, Notre Dame is, is going to be in the mix, so when they play big games, they play Georgia Tech in a couple weeks. That's going to be huge. Then they go to Clemson after that. Uh, very difficult stretch for them. So, you know, it's there's all kinds of games. You never know week to week which ones are going to matter. Nobody could have imagined last season that Baylor TCU was going to be a game that, that determined so much about the national race but it was so uh, it's hard to it's hard to say week to week things things change all the time yeah I was I watched a little bit of that Oklahoma game and uh, man I was really impressed with Joe Mixon he kind of reminded me a lot of DeMarco Murray but I think he's maybe even faster than DeMarco Murray I don't know he, he looked really impressive which He's going to create a dilemma, I think, for a lot of Oklahoma fans because, you know, he's he's. I think he's really good. I think he's the best player maybe that's been at Oklahoma in a while. Yeah, that's a interesting scenario, and and you you wonder, uh, you know, Oklahoma, the tape of of him hitting a woman right never got out publicly, and you wonder if that would have shaped how people reacted to that and whether Oklahoma would have been able to keep him on campus. Um, you know, it's a, it's a really delicate situation, but uh, yeah, I mean, he's there and, and they feel like him sitting out last year was, uh, you know, uh, the, the price he paid for, for what he did and, um, you know, how that's kind of in the background and, and, and people have moved on, but there's no question that should Oklahoma – continue to win and stay as national consciousness. That's a story that will probably keep coming up all season. Swordscaster here with Dan Wilkin from the USA Today. He's at Dan Wilkin on Twitter. Uh, and you can find his work, of course, on uh, usatoday.com. Uh, uh, you can check that out there for sure as well. Uh, going into the season, who are you predicting as the uh, four teams in the playoff well, you know, I, I I'm not very good at predicting things because uh, 
it's it, it's just it's really really tough, and uh, I, I don't. I, I don't put a whole lot of stock in anyone's predictions, particularly my own, but I think you do have to kind of start with who's got a chance to win the five power conferences because given the emphasis on conference champions that the selection committee placed last year, I think you kind of just have to start there and work backwards. And So, you know, the ACC, I, I at first liked Clemson, but uh, Florida State to me now – with the injuries and other issues Clemson's had, they, they're down four potential starters from where they they were coming out of spring. So I think that's a tough blow. I think that's going to be hard for them to, to continue to uh, you know play at the level we thought they, they could play at going into the season. So I, I'd probably lean more toward Florida State right now out of the ACC. I still believe Auburn is, is going to win the SEC. Uh, Ohio State out of the Big Ten, and uh, TCU out of the Big 12, and then I've, I've liked UCLA the whole way out of the Pac-12. So you take those five and, and potentially Notre Dame, and who's the odd man out? I would say the ACC probably gets left out among the four power conferences, and then you know, and then if, if Notre Dame is in, it'll be interesting to see who, who the other one would be that, that gets left out. The Pac-12, I think, is more vulnerable because – uh, not only did they not have a great first weekend, but I just think that that's a league where there's a lot of parity and the teams are going to sort of beat each other up. But uh, I think it'll come from, you know, a, a group of schools that, that's similar to that uh, at the end, and and there's just a lot of football to be played. Yeah, you mentioned UCLA, and I did get a chance to watch some of Josh Rosen, and he was certainly a player that lived up to the hype. I mean, he's just got a ridiculous arm. He, was, he throws ropes, that kid. Yeah, I mean, it affirmed everything that we've heard about him yeah. uh, for several years now. He was one of those guys that was identified early as a potential star quarterback, uh, a guy with not just the physical talent but the mental makeup and the attitude and sort of the alpha dog nature, um, a guy who uh, had you know worked technically with people early on and and UCLA early uh, got you know went through a spring practice prepared himself to play as a freshman and it's not a surprise to me that uh, he's starting and, and that he performed well right off we did mention a bunch of guys anyone else you want to maybe throw out as a potential Heisman candidate this year no, I mean, I, I, I don't uh, – you, you start to get into that conversation early, and it really isn't all that meaningful because I remember a couple years ago, you know, people were giving Geno Smith the Heisman after a month, and at the end of the day, he, he was nowhere to be found on anyone's ballot. It really, this stuff takes, takes shape in October and November. Um, you know, guys will make a late push to get in. Uh, and generally, in the last several years, it's been – it's been people who came out of nowhere. I mean, no one had Robert Griffin III uh, on their list. Nobody had Johnny Manziel. Nobody had Jameis Winston at the start of the year. And, and it could be something like that this year. I, I mean, there's guys who are kind of obvious, if they play well, are going to be in the mix. Trevon Boykin at TCU, Nick Chubb at Georgia, 
uh, I mean, you can go on down the line. There's some obvious candidates, whoever, you know, from Ohio State, whether it's Ezekiel Elliott or, you know, even maybe Braxton Miller. Um, but, you know, sometimes the obvious guys don't, don't end up being there at the end. And uh, I think it's a, it's a better conversation to have in October than after one week. Yeah, I think Kyle Orton is another example of a guy who seemed like he was definitely going to win it like the first through fourth week and then completely dropped off, if I remember that season correctly. Uh, last thing, what about uh, Dan Wolken in the college football season? Tell us about uh, what you're going to be doing, writing USA Today, anywhere else, any other things. Just lay everything out so the readers can kind of, our listeners can kind of follow you uh, during the college football season. Uh, nothing really all that dramatic, just uh, the typical uh, college football season coverage. And you know, we've got three people at USA Today, uh, and, and really three and a half uh, with uh, Nicole Auerbach, who primarily does basketball but does a lot of college football stuff as well. So, you know, between the four of us, we, we pump out a lot of content, and uh, we, you know, we're doing podcasts a few times a week, videos. Uh, you know, I'm obviously I'm always working on a couple, three good stories that I'm trying to chip away at. You know, but just continuing to follow the the season and the big issues in, in college athletics. It's a it's a time of pretty significant change, and it, it, I think everybody's uh, attuned to to the off field issues and uh, you know cost of attendance and name, image, and likeness and the Jeffrey Kessler lawsuit. So there's a lot of different things swirling out there that continue to be part of the landscape that, that you got to be got to be on top of well you can find dan on twitter he's at dan wilkin there which is easy and also uh usatoday.com is a great spot uh really easy to find uh his work there uh they keep it together really nicely um so i definitely recommend that dan thank you so much for taking some time out and enjoy the games all right thanks All right, I want to thank our guests for being on the podcast today. We always have good ones for the uh, for the football preview. And we still have some good ones coming up. I mean, we got... I don't think we've even mentioned that I've been in contact with the PR guy at Fox who has oh, right, yeah. said that we're going to get Buck or Aikman. Yeah, we've met, definitely he mentioned e- off the air. He can easily bail on us. Sure. He doesn't have to give us Buck or Aikman. Right. But, I mean, he has said he will. So... <laughs> Take that for what it's worth, which right. is, I mean, what I do. Okay. He said yes, so I'm going to keep badgering him until he just, for no other reason, does it, so I'll stop. Right. Um, we haven't had Tariko yet. Okay. Because he's doing the U.S. Open right now, so he couldn't come on now. But he's Dave, a guarantee. He comes on every year. Dave's been a mysterious. Yeah, I, don't, I have no explanation. I did text him this okay. week to see if he might come on this week, but he didn't answer. And... uh Deitch is another one we said it's coming, it's coming, it's coming. We haven't set it up, but I told him he's another one who uses the U.S. Open as an excuse for right now. I told him <laughs> when that ends, you're coming on. You know, I'll email you every five minutes. Jesse Pagula, I think we mentioned her, but good, yeah. good showing there. Yeah, 1-1, one, one, and her loss was a three-set yep. match. So, yeah, good for her. Uh, I should mention, um, since we got off base there, that you can find this episode, last episode, featuring David DeSola, who we kind of talked about. We're disappointed a bit with. Yes, 
not in content necessarily. The it, book was great. The book was good. He just the didn't informi- seem to have the passion for the project. Yeah, I was surprised. I thought he would geek out a little bit more about it, but I was, and he wasn't. Right? Maybe he maybe he just wasn't a fan, and the people reading it, I would assume, are fans for the most. Yeah, part, but so. like I use this example to you off the air. Like I know that Jeff Perlman is not a huge Walter Payton fan, but when Sweetness came out, and we interviewed him about it. You could feel the passion for yeah. the work, but I don't know. David Shoemaker was on last week as well. That was awesome. I love The Masked Man. I think what I love about The Masked Man is that non-wrestling fans can listen to him talk about wrestling uh-huh. and sports. Some of the other wrestling guys you get, the wrestling guys. Okay. You know, like when we had Alvarez, Brian Alvarez, to talk about the death of Piper, it felt very much like an interview only wrestling fans would want to hear. Mm-hmm. Whereas even Shoemaker last week, I felt like it could have mass appeal. I don't exactly know why. but. Right. Part of it is because we talked about Baylor football for a while. Right. Who's the guest we had two or three before that's a big wrestling guy and was an NFL guy? Because you even said in the interview, if I keep talking to you about wrestling, people are going to be mad at me. Uh, I can't remember who that was. But he did, he has the same kind of appeal. Oh, maybe it's yeah. Be, maybe, yeah it's because you're, that? maybe it's because you're listening to an NFL. Oh, it's Fabiano. That's right. Yeah. Maybe because it's Fabiano and hearing him talk about wrestling is interesting. And, yeah, but, Fabiano was saying, like, he was like, yeah, save the WrestleMania spot for me. Oh, yeah. That's a downtime for me. Yeah, yeah. At work, and I'd love to just geek out and talk WrestleMania, so I'm sure we'll do that. Yeah. Uh, but you can find all these podcasts at our website, www.sports-casters.com. You can find them on Stitcher and iTunes and any podcatcher. You can email us at sportscasters at gmail.com. You can find Don on Twitter at DonLikeSports, and you can find me at sports underscore casters. I do have a copy an autographed copy of Adam Lazarus's Redskins book to give away. Oh, sweet. So if you want an autographed copy of that, and I'm sure he'd personalize it for you as well, uh, send me an email. I will say that if I send you a book and when you get it, you don't write to thank me, you're probably never getting a book again. <laughs> I mean, they cost me anywhere from 3 to $6 to ship. Right, right. I have to like leave the house and go to the post office and pack it up not only do i have to ship it but i gotta buy a thing to ship it in yeah we gotta get us like a stamps.com deal like corolla yeah we don't have that yet though so but i don't know like a lot of people do thank me but if you've gotten a book and you didn't don't ask me again (laughs) um all right for one last thing today instead of don and i going back and forth we're gonna make some picks for the nfl yep so write these down take these to the bank let's start with the awards okay who do you have for Defensive Rookie of the Year, Don? Defensive Rookie of the Year, I went with Leonard Williams. Uh, for me, this is about situation. I like the Jets' defense. And they're down a big tackle due to suspension this year? Yeah, so opportunity is there, and I don't know enough about any of these guys to know them from a straight talent point. So uh, his situation seems good. I'm going to go with Marcus Peters, defensive back, cornerback for the Chiefs. I'm going to go with him because... If he didn't get kicked off of the University of Washington football team last year, he would have been a much higher draft pick. Hmm. And it seems like they've straightened him out. He got he ended up in a good spot with Andy Reid in Kansas City. And it sounds like that Andy Reid has really been mentoring him and working with him. And I think he's a top five talent who went later in the draft because of off-field issues that might have had more to do with maturity uh-huh. and less to do about really what kind of guy he is. 
Um, he made mistakes, but he's really owned them very well. And uh, I think the sky's the limit for Marcus Peters. So that's my pick on defense. All right, the offensive rookie of the year, I went with Todd Gurley. Again, not a guy I'd seen a ton of, but from everything I've heard, he's the closest physical freak like to Adrian Peterson to yeah. come out of college he's a game since, changer. since Peterson. Yeah. So if he can get back healthy, uh, which it sounds like he will, and they, he's got opportunity there too. Uh, they don't exactly have a stud running back in front of him that's going to keep him off the field. So. Yeah, they're going to want to run it. Uh, I maybe got tricked into picking a guy off of one highlight, um, but Amari Cooper's awesome. Yeah, yeah. And to see what he did to to Patrick Peterson in that preseason game, just that perfect route that he ran um, to get open and break away from someone who's pretty awesome. unanimously one of the best. Right, yeah. Uh, just goes to show me that he's destined for great things in the league. And again, I don't see why he wouldn't get the ball at the rate that, say, Calvin Benjamin did last year. In yeah. Carolina, you know, I don't know. Oakland. In oh, Carolina, I, I, I see Benjamin, Benjamin in Carolina, right. got so many catches right. because there was no who one else, else was to go. There? And who right. was there to go to there? So, Cooper. I think, you know what? I like what they have in Oakland. Like, I think they're really close. You know, yeah, they, got, they got a lot of really good guys. Yeah. I don't know if Carr's the guy, but if he is, they're really, really close. And if he's not, they might just be that away from kind right. of breaking through soon. Yeah, I'd agree with that. All right, want to go to the offensive player of the year? Sure. All right, I got Aaron Rodgers. Uh, for me, he's the best in football. Yeah. Uh, anytime he can it, – it's all about staying on the field. For him, I mean, he did lose a weapon in Jordy Nelson, but I love Aaron Rodgers. So, And like you said, or I asked you a question, does the MVP normally win the offensive player of the year? And you said, actually, no, they kind of usually give it to two different people. So yeah. I have Aaron Rodgers in this spot. Instead of the MVP. Yeah, I have Drew Brees. Um, okay. I think that he is really in the position where he was when he joined the Saints, where it's kind of like I need to prove people sure. uh, that I am who I think I am. Boy, if you listen to the fantasy analysts, the sky is falling when it comes to Drew Brees. Yeah, it, and especially Matthew Barry kind of leads that. Yeah. And, I mean, it's easy to kind of think he represents everyone with fantasy because he, he's the best. Sure, right. And the most out there. But – I think he was injured last year because he said so, and I have no reason not to believe him. Yep. And I think he was trying too hard. And I've seen Drew Brees try too hard. Oh, yeah, yeah. It wasn't just last year. That yep. That's a knack on Brees. When he is put in a position by his defense to try too hard, he does, and it, it causes picks. I think his pick total is going to go way down, and I think his yards are going to go up. Uh, I think that Sean Payton has had plenty of time to mold the offense away from tight end. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't think that loss is is big. Of course, Jimmy Graham is huge. Yeah. But the offense doesn't need to go through tight end. It's not like it never did before. It, it Jimmy did before. Right. It just did because the star was there. Guy. Yeah. You know. So yeah, I'll go with Breeze. All right, defensive player of the year. Um, if I went any other direction, I think I'd be getting cute. So I'm going to go JJ Watt. I yeah, guess I could have I could have gone on Bill's Homer pick yeah. here, but I went with Watt too. No need to get too far in it. I think everyone knows why we pick Watt. All right. Uh, MVP. MVP, I have Tom Brady this year. Um, FU mode? FU mode. Yeah. And no no team goes into FU mode like the Patriots. So, And it directly had his name attached to it this time. So healthy Gronk, yeah. same team basically as last year other than that. So why not? I'm going to pick Andrew Luck. Yeah. I think people are ready for him to win this award. Yep. And I think that's part of it. So, 
Last award we have is comeback player. And again, we have two more actually. Oh, I'm missing comeback one. Comeback and fantasy. Oh, fantasy. MVP. Yep, yeah. yep. Uh, comeback player of the year. I'm going to go with Clowney. A lot, a lot of the same reasons that I think JJ Watt deserves and demands a lot of attention. And Clowney is a freak. And if he's healthy, boy, I mean, those are as good ends. Good as ends. Can have. Yeah. 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 Uh, I'm going to pick Sam Bradford. Yeah, that makes sense too. Um, I just think that the opportunity to be what we always thought he could be in the league, or at least I always thought, not everyone did, but I always thought that he had the talent to be a really top quarterback and just didn't work out in St. Louis. But uh, I think looked every bit the it part looks in like the preseason, could, so. it could line up for him. So I'm going to pick Sam Bradford there. All right, my fantasy one kind of lines up with my offensive rookie of the year. I'm going to say Todd Gurley. If he plays well enough to be the offensive rookie of the year, I think he would also have done enough to justify whatever. He's probably going in the fourth, fifth, sixth round of drafts. So if you can get him – redraft leagues, obviously in Dynasty he'd be earlier. But uh, if he justifies the offensive rookie of the year while being picked in the fourth or fifth round, I think teams are going to – you're going to have a lot of winning teams that ended up drafting him. Really came down to three guys for me. Um, it came down to Julio Jones. Okay. Uh, who I think is going to be the number one wide receiver by 75 points. Okay. Over number two. I think that. Just nobody else there? I just think the that the talent and the way Shanahan has run his offenses in the past yeah. around the number one receiver. Right. Um, but I didn't go with him because in a lot of leagues he was probably drafted as the number one wide receiver. Right, sure. Another guy I thought of was Sam Bradford because he could tip a team who went all these other positions that went quarterback late and got Bradford. Right. But ultimately I'm going to go with Arian Foster. Oh, yeah, yeah. Because depending on and, – and again – a lot of someone might have picked him in the first round, and and maybe it's not as sexy of a choice to pick right. Foster if you picked real early. But a majority of the drafts were when you just didn't know where to get this guy, and he's going to change so many teams. If he comes back October first or even the week before that, he's going to change so many teams because anytime he's been on the field, he's been really good. I took him at the back half of the fifth round in our redraft league, and I thought I probably took him too early. And now you see things that he's like the th- a third round pick on some drafts, just because he might miss three games. Right. Four. If he misses three games, that's only one more than Le'Veon Bell. Right. And Le'Veon Bell was picked number one overall in some leagues yeah, despite his suspension. A, that's an interesting choice. That's a good choice. So I'm going to go with Foster there. All right. Um, that's it for those. So yeah. Let's, go so to, now we're going to go team picks, and we'll start with the NFC division winners and wild cards. All right. I got the Seahawks. Uh, I kind of see to them in order. Seahawks and Packers to get the buys, Eagles and Saints to win the other two divisions. And I have the Cowboys, and I was back and forth with the Vikings and Cardinals. I'm going to go with the Cardinals. I'll just say the Vikings make a step this year, but maybe it's not quite their year. But I, I, it's all about the quarterback, and if Carson Palmer can stay healthy, I, I like the Cardinals. I seeded it as well. I have the Seahawks as the one seed and the Eagles as the two seed. Yeah. And then I have the Saints and the Vikings okay. as the, divi- the other two division winners. And I have the Packers and the Cowboys okay. as the wild cards. So we swapped the Vikings and Cardinals there. You had the Vikings winning the division. Yeah. All right. In the AFC, um, I have the Colts. Uh, I heard their schedule, and it's ridiculously Yeah, just nice. look in their division. Right, their division, and they play. Houston will be good, but the other two the are terrible. South in the NFC this year. They do. Yeah. So that Saints. I mean, it could be up a little bit because it's, it's so still down it's bad. last year, but it's, it's bad. bad. Right. Yeah. 
Uh, Patriots, I have it. The other wild card or the other bye. And then I have the Steelers, Chiefs winning the other two divisions, and then the Broncos, and I went with the homer pick in the Bills. I pick the Colts as the one seed, again, because of record. Patriots is the two seed. Uh, the Steelers and the Chargers, the yeah, other I division winners. I thought about winners. them, too. That's a tough division this year. And then I have the Ravens and the Chiefs as well. So you have the Broncos missing right now. I have out. the Broncos out. Yeah, I almost did that, too. Um, but with that, I, I'm just worried about Peyton this year. Yeah. Yep. Now, admittedly, that could be the pick that will haunt me, but I really do feel like there's not going to be much middle ground there. Yeah, they're gonna like get a buy, or they're not gonna make it. It's kind of how I feel about right, them. Yeah. So, all right, what's your uh, Super Bowl? I have. Uh, this is a little bit of wishing. I I told you before. I think this makes for the best game. Like if my team's not in it and your team's not in it, uh, I think the sexiest game would be Packers Colts, and I have the Packers winning that again. It's just one of those things. Like I think Rodgers is ready to win it, and Luck is ready to take that step. But sometimes you gotta lose one to get back or whatever yeah i think the nelson injury just kept me off the packers for yeah, Super Bowl. yeah um not to say they couldn't though uh i mean my head said seahawks patriots i downgraded yeah. the packers I, I i made them the wild card and i didn't make them a super bowl because of the nelson injury but they could be i'll pick the eagles from the nfc okay um almost as a reason if you're not going to pick the seahawks and i didn't really see any Try reason to, to the next team who's then. the next most likely team yeah and Look at the Eagles seem like they stacked it up for a run here, right? I mean, they got DeMarco Bradford Murray. and Murray Bird. over the offseason. Yep. Um, and then they 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 shifted their receivers a bit and went kind of younger there. Right. With Matthews and Aguilar kind of being the the key. And a lot of people still love Ertz. Right. I just, and it's a good offensive line. It's a really good offense, and the defense maybe could be good enough. And then I picked the Colts. Um, again, kind of looking for a reason not to pick the Patriots. Right. And uh, the reason there is just this is the year maybe Andrew Luck takes the step. And they were in the AFC Championship last year. So, I mean, yeah, it's not a, it's crazy not a stretch. But, I mean, and, then I, had, and I'll pick the Eagles to win it. If you had to bet your house, though, are you betting Yeah, if I was going to bet my house, Patriots? I'd bet the Seahawks and Patriots because I'd just go with yeah, the numbers. That's boring, though. Yeah, I wasn't <laughs> going to do that. Right. Um, yeah, if, oh, absolutely. If my house was on the line, I'd have to. Go with the Seahawks and Patriots. No other pick would really make sense if you're betting your house. Right. But since the Patriots... You can make an argument against the Patriots, but probably not against the Seahawks in betting your house. And you're kind of betting against the Patriots in that Brady's just getting old, right? I mean, you're waiting for that year to tail off. They haven't gotten any worse. Or, you know, it's just so hard to repeat. Right. You know, maybe Gronk gets injured again. Right. You know, um... Maybe they don't have a great running back. You know, Blunt is not all that talented. Right. And maybe they kind of run out of luck with him and none of the other guys step up. You could make a case against the Patriots. The division's tougher. That should be right. You know, the Dolphins and the Bills, maybe they don't, you know, get to play those games in Foxborough at the end. Sure. So. All right. 